players gather to cast powerful spells. Some of the oldest and most powerful in the history of Magic the Gathering. Aethervile, Chalice of the Void, Grizzlebrand, and many others. Battling head-to-head -head in brutal combat, they all have one thing in common. To uphold their legacy and the search for eternal. The Eternal Glory Podcast is sponsored by Cardboard Live and TheEpicStorm.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode two of the Eternal Glory podcast. My name's Anurag Das, and I'm joined here today with uh, Brian Cook and uh, Mr. Wilson Hunter. How are you guys doing? I'm alive. Passionate, enthusiastic. Wilson looks like he's having an aneurysm, so... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Wilson, Wilson is literally frozen right now. No, I'm doing great. It's great to be here. I'm really excited about this podcast, and to be honest, I've been spending a lot of time practicing my fantasy baseball draft for tomorrow night where Bryant and I will compete against one another. And, uh, Wilson and I are nerds on many levels. It's adorable. Um, so unfortunately guys, uh, due to schedule conflicts, Jerry was not able to join us this week, but, uh, we are in the works to make plans for him to be on the next, the, the next podcast. So look forward to that. Um, just covering up a couple of other things, though, uh, we are now, upon popular request, on major platforms, including Podbean, Spotify, Google Play, Apple Casts, and Stitcher. Thank you, Bryant, for getting us there. You're welcome. And um, I think I think there was a request from Over the Pond, from a specific Mr. Whiteface's Callum Smith, to get us on floppy disk. Looking forward to that, too. So for anyone back in, you know, the 1990s, we got you. And uh, also... <clears throat> Most importantly, check out our website at uh, www.theeternalglorypodcast.com. Uh, actually just created entirely by uh, our loving one and only Mr. Cook, who put lots of hours into it. Uh, I'm pretty excited about it. It looks really clean, uh, like really, really clean. And uh, we hope to add on to it as we, uh, you know, just as we, as we go on. Yeah, so we have a grab bag of listener feedback because... We value your opinions and your feedback. Legacy is a wonderful community with many vocal individuals uh, with a lot of opinions. And we do this because we enjoy talking about Legacy and we want to hear from you. So our inaugural episode had a uh, Reddit post and we had a couple people respond with some very nice Reddit comments with interesting topics. Uh, so take it away, Bryant. So our first comment was from Jack A. 1983, maybe the presence and power of Dragon Stompy has made three-color Delver a little awkward, and the reason that Blue-Red Delver and Blue-White Delver did so well is because they have a safer mana base. I think we can all agree that the Salamander is not a zombie fish, but maybe Blood Moon-proof lands plus Salamander is better than a zombie fish? Question mark. Thank you, Brian. That was beautiful. So I'll I'll take a first stab at this, if that's Okay. I think this is a very insightful question uh, slash answer. I think mana bases matter. Um, 
I try not to get in the weeds though. I'm not. I'm not sure it's as specific as the matchup uh, of Blood Moon against the ability to play Basic Island in your Delver deck. However, I do think the more consistent mana base of blue red is absolutely a factor, and why it's doing pretty well. Um, I think the number one reason is aggression and uh, the fact that it's by far the best aggressive Delver deck. But I think that uh, Jack A nineteen eighty three makes a good point here. Yeah, and and from my perspective, so <clears throat> I've mostly just played with basic lands, you know, since forever, and. I think it's just it's mostly just about like casting your spells in the first place, right? That's that's actually just really really important in a format like Legacy where you have the most powerful powerful cards available to you. So you're you're really like decks are really good at stopping other decks from casting spells. So you look at cards like Chalice of the Void or like Blood Moon, for example, or even like Counterbalance or you know whatever like Days Force of Will, all those cards. Um, I think for that reason, you know, just even even like mitigating the impact of a card like wasteland is actually super super useful because at least it guarantees that you know you get to make your plays on turn one two and three and not just get completely snowballed over so i think that while blood moon isn't the entire reason i think it is a third of the reason so when you look at the premier control deck of legacy it's miracles it often at least good lists that are honorogs run two back to basics and back to basics is pretty good against a lot of these decks. So you're playing around both back to basics and blood move. Then on top of that, the other major strategy in legacy is Delver decks that are on wasteland. So pair all three of these together. I think that has a lot to do with why we're seeing so many basics like this blue red and blue white Delver deck. Yeah. And also let, let's, let's uh, not forget about the, the elephant in the room, or I guess the elephant that was in the room, Deathrite Shaman, like Deathrite Shaman is gone now. Right. So, you know, you can't just get away with playing whatever mana base you want to anymore. Um, you can even see like the, the presence of four color decks just completely gone, which makes sense. But even, you know, decks like Grixis Control, for example, they've got like three or four basics at this point because um, they're struggling to keep up with all the, the mana denial and things like that. Um, or you just can't go unpunished with the three color mana base, I think in the face of wasteland and then other, other, uh, strategies like that. Honestly, if I, if I had to take a stance on it, I would say that, you know, the dragon stompy deck, even if it is like a turn zero, turn one, whatever blood moon deck, I kind of, I kind of like that because it, it does keep the format like bounded, honest in a sense. So while we're on the topic of dragon stompy, it's a somewhat on topic at least, so I don't want to talk about the results from this weekend. I just want to loosely mention them. But there was a lot of ant that was going around the Star City Classic this weekend. Previous weeks, Blood Moon has not been a great metagame choice because people are aiming to beat it. Now that people are shifting to ant to beat those other decks, do you guys see the, these Blood Moon prison decks coming back to beat ant? Yeah, I think that's a, a very reasonable point, Bryant. Um, I think that the... Blood Moon Stompy style decks were probably decent anyways, and I think that now is is a primed opportunity for them to to shoot back into the metagame for sure. All right, so why don't we move on to our second question? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'm happy to take this one. So, <clears throat> as strange as it sounds, not trying to discredit Cali in any ways, but I agree with Bryant's assessment on Blue Red Delver. I started doing some testings with it, Light Up the Stage opens up this avenue that was not well known prior to Syracuse. This is from our beloved Twindom, one of our favorite listeners and show contributors. So what are you guys' thoughts on this? 
So my immediate take, um, so I, I'm very happy for Rich. Very happy that he won. Um, if there's a player that you know deserves a win, it definitely is him. But I've heard a consistent qualm by people who have picked up the deck, you know, in in you know after his win, and a lot of the people are just like not really satisfied with light up the stage. Um, you know, Delver aficionado Bob was just like he's not really like convinced about it, at least as far as I'm aware. And then even you know players like Rich Shea who have tried out. Uh, tried out the deck they say that light up the stage is a little bit clunky just because you know <clears throat> i mean terramander is very good at connecting dealing points of damage has flying but it, it is just like still a requirement to the card and at three mana it is just unplayable right light up the stage is just not not really a playable card so i, I don't know just i feel it's like you have to flip the deliver connecting the air or you have to have the terramander in the early early opening hands so that the light up the stages that you draw you play three of them too so you're very likely to see them in the opening um hands or in the opening turns or whatever um and just having it be in your hand and not do anything is is kind of irritating so i don't know it's definitely a build around me kind of card um and that restriction could just make the deck a little bit more clunky than it you know needs to be so i'm not going to argue against someone that's agreeing with me but I would like to mention the fact that late at the stage is essentially just another copy of Charter Course. And these blue-red Delver decks aren't playing Charter Course. So it seems like people playing light up the stage are just excited to be playing new cards rather than anything else. And I get that because testing new cards is very exciting and fun. But I think long-term we're going to see light up the stage disappear from blue-red Delver. It might still see some play and burn. Yo, uh, one mana is a lot less than two, though, right? But I do know what you're saying. I do know what you're saying, Bryant. Um, I, I'll take the generalist approach to sort of wrap this one up and say the cool part of this co comment shows that SCG Syracuse showed us that there's still some innovation happening in Legacy. I think that there were some new cards that made waves. Um, winning list had multiple new cards in it. We have basically a new Delver of Secrets and a new draw spell. And I think that's really interesting. So, um, yeah, that was my favorite thing about the comment. Not necessarily, like, sp the specifics of what we do with these cards, but just the fact that Legacy is changing and that there's a, a Delver deck that I think is probably the most affordable Delver deck in the format for people to, to get into and to build a, a new competitive deck uh, that's doing really well. Okay, so we're talking about Delver decks that are affordable and competitive, and I want to talk about uh, a non-stock uh, Delver deck that actually won the Legacy Challenge this past weekend, piloted by our very own Daniel Gochel. I guess I'm not allowed to say he's our very own, right? Because he's not really our very own. But Ghoul Ducat, MTG, just, I don't know. I get At this point, it's safe to just call him really good at the game. Um, took first place with a really innovative take on, on a Stoneblade, Delver, I don't know, deck, archetype, whatever. And so to break it down, you can check out the list on mtggoldfish.com. But uh, in his main deck, he's got four Stone Forges, four True Names, which is really interesting, and then one Palace Jailer uh, with a couple Snapcasters, twelve Cantrips. Uh, sorry, twelve Cantrips? No, twelve Counterspells. So like the Forces, two Counterspells, a couple Pierces and Snares. Yeah, it, it's packed with a lot of heat. Like a very, very unconventional list. Um, and I think it's got a really good fair game, at least the way the main deck is built. But the sideboard has four copies of Delver of Secrets. And I want to know what you guys think about that. Well, I will say 
I know you talked about this the second I heard you say it had one palace jailer in the list. Oh yeah. That's so. my new that's my new pet project. I'm gonna get it to work. Watch three hundred and sixty five days from now, we're gonna look back at this podcast and be like, Wow, Honor, you were right about Palace Jailer. Instead of talking about Palace Jailer and Cyborg Delver secrets, why don't we introduce today's topic? All right. Well, we could definitely do that. So um Part of, you know, just us getting together and us sharing our experiences with you. We want the viewers to know who we are, um, to get to know a little bit about us. So right off the bat, you know, Brian, kick it off. Um, Tell me about, you know, why you play Legacy, what brought you into the game. Um, No, 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 no. I'm going to give some background on this a little bit more. And we're just going off the cuff here, okay? So this is a... Anrog and Bryant have been doing a lot of technical work on the podcast. Uh, Bryant has spent hours upon hours on our website. Anrog has been doing tons of editing and been playing the game probably more than any of us. Plays it every day and been streaming and all that. So part of my job was to make these show notes. And one of the topics that we came up with that I tried to put some thought into as well is why do we play Legacy? So that's sort of the premise of this episode today is we want to let the listeners uh, get to know us better. This is the beginning of a hopefully long and prosperous podcast. And what better way uh, to introduce an episode to than to basically spend the time in talking about why the three of us started playing Legacy, um, sort of our journey through the format, where we are today, and uh, really just have a, a storytelling segment. So that's the thought behind us. Sorry, Anurag, to sort of steal the thunder there, but... Uh, yeah, I just wanted to give some background, and I guess we'll we'll go ahead and start with Bryant's story. That was beautiful. Thank you, Wilson. Thank you. Yes, I do appreciate that. I like that clarification. It's important. It's important. All right, Bryant, take it away. So back in 1922, when I started playing Magic, or was it 2002? I think it was 2002. Uh, I grew up in Syracuse, New York. I still live here, and when I went to my local game store, people just played Magic. And Magic in Syracuse, New York, was Type 1.5, the predecessor of Legacy. While there was Standard and Extended, people pretty much worshipped Legacy, and that was the format of the area. So when I had started playing, it's all anyone ever talked about, mostly because MTG The Source was partially founded out of Syracuse. Uh, Colin Chilbert, who's a good friend of mine, he was one of the original administrators on the source. And then in the next big town over in Albany, there was another founding member, Peter Rotten, for those of you who have been around for a little while. And then in Seattle, there was Bardo. And I apologize, but I do not remember his real name. So back then was workshops bazaars and mana drains those were all legal in type 1.5 and uh a very poor bryant started off with suicide black sinkholes nantuko shades fun stuff like that later graduated onto a deck honorog might like blue white red land still and right before the format shifted into legacy i found a new love with angel control the first deck that i had played for years with any moderate success Angel Control was a deck that played Exalted Angel paired with Skeletal Scrying, and when the format had shifted, everyone was so afraid of being a slow deck. So Ancient Tombs were actually in our control decks at the time, with cards like Thirst for Knowledge and Chrome Mox. It was a very wild time to be playing Legacy. Wow. 
Wait, so skeletal scrying is basically like a more efficient stroke of genius, is that right? So you'd gain life, and then you'd use the life as a resource to draw a ton of cards. What else was in that deck? Uh, play, back then, cards were a lot worse, so it actually ran Telling Time to smooth out your draws along with Brainstorm. Keep in mind, this is pre-Ponder. So, like, back in 2004, when Legacy was first created, there was a lot more room for fun. So you got away with cards like Exalted Angel and Skeletal Scrying. Legacy today is very lean and cutthroat, where back in 2004, 2007, there was a lot of room for trying things out. Factor Fiction was a huge player. It was a very different time. Like, Goblin Welder was still playable. To be honest, you're saying a lot of cards that uh, I'm nervous about Anrog hearing because... Telling time has some clear applications to the deck that he plays now. And uh, all right, yeah, I'm just gonna I'm gonna say it. Uh, I I when Jace got unbanned in Modern, Telling Time was like the first card I put in a draft oh deck. I gosh. was like, oh, we're gonna we're gonna miracle some people in Modern, and then I just walked away. I was like, all right, no. Um, but that format sounds pretty fun, pretty interesting. Uh, what, like, what were some of the things that you played against back in the day? So. This was pre-Vengevine, but Survival of the Fittest was very popular in my area. So back then, Survival was like a toolbox deck. Uh, but this was the format that made me fall in love with Magic, and more importantly, Legacy. So this was all pre-The Epic Storm, but I found a love in my community and a love for Legacy out of what I what I didn't know was a very unpopular format for Magic at the time. So when people moved to Syracuse, they'd be like, you guys play Legacy? why uh but to me what, what why would we play anything else yeah no that's very cool uh what'll be interesting like i'll talk about it in a little bit but it's sort of how the stories overlap and mtg the source for many people listening was probably uh, a significant impact on their their legacy story early on it was for me so before i knew anybody playing legacy i was just sitting on my computer camped on the source reading about different decks and archetypes and uh ran into bryant who was not so hidden with his his handle on the source? Um, you mean you know, Bryant and, uh, underscore Cook was not very secretive. <laughs> there you go. That's right. I feel like so, I know someone with that name. Not sure. <laughs> no, that's very cool. The very cool. So so basically, like you were playing Magic at the time, and Magic was legacy. You play these decks. I can definitely uh, relate to Suicide Black. Um, later became like Eva Green, I guess, when Tarmogoyf is printed, which is it uh, definitely did. Obviously. Yeah, people love that mana denial strategy. That was very cool early legacy deck. Um, I think what our listeners are probably all wondering is uh, what's what's the story behind the Epic Storm and how did you go from trying out a lot of these different types of decks, mana denial, to control with basically a, a, a black stroke of genius and an angel and all these different things into playing a combo deck that kills people in turn one? So at the time, Solidarity was very huge, and anyone that knows the story behind Solidarity, which is the Reset High Tide deck, also knows that there was a counter to Solidarity, which was a deck called Nausea. Uh, terrible deck names, but that was Legacy back in 2004 to 2007. So Nausea, the story comes from two people playing a limited event in Virginia, which was a huge Legacy hotbed at the time. And someone had cast a nausea and someone responded with solidarity in order to win a match and this is how they decided to name their legacy decks well this nausea deck caught my interest as a control player because i didn't really understand how to play combo that well so it was a helm of awakening based deck where you would run cards like chromatic sphere and the actual eggs from odyssey uh, i don't remember the names of them anymore because i've gotten pretty old but this was the 
start of my combo interest. And with the unbanning, essentially, from the splitting from the reserve list from Vintage with Legacy being created, Lotus Petal became legal, Chromox became legal, Lion's Eye Ivan became legal, and everyone had been trying these decks that didn't really work with four main deck diminishing returns and things like that. So I'm sort of credited with creating the first working Storm deck, but it's not all just me. There's been people along the way. So as I mentioned, I fell in love with the community, and a big part of that was joining a team when I was like 16 years old, which was the Epic Syndicate. And uh, those guys were essentially my older brothers. I was the little kid that they let tag along. They were all much older than me, but it was a great relationship, and I learned so much from them. And that really helped me become more competitive and get even more into Magic. That's awesome, man. So, by the way, real quick shout out to Felipe from Brazil, listener, who asked us to uh, talk about deck names. Uh, just gave me the reminder that he sent a comment about that and you're, you're touching on that. So I think that's definitely something that we'll talk about in this episode is how some of these deck names came to be. Some of them are nuts and they don't even describe the decks very well. But I mean, as I'm listening to you talk about this, I'm sort of geeking out. To be honest, I always sort of fanboyed over Bryant before, uh, before meeting him because Bryant's one of those stalwarts of legacy, basically one of the founder. I would consider like a founder of the format, even though he may not feel that way. Um, I certainly don't. But it's but it's very cool. I mean, it's like it started as a, a small community of people and a, a few, uh, I say a few, but maybe even like a couple distributed places. Like there's Virginia was a hotbed. New York was a hotbed. You know, you mentioned uh, there's somebody in Seattle. I guess there's a couple people in Canada or whatever. But a uh, small number of people innovating early on, creating these awesome archetypes. Just it sounds like it started as like, you know, ideas and trying lots of different things. I mean, you all had thousands of cards at your fingertips. Maybe talk about how did you basically try different combinations of cards to come up with these crazy uh, kill decks that, you know, that, that basically killed people instantly that ended up as, as this highly powered machine that is test, but you're talking about eggs and all these other things. Like what was your process of getting to that point and, and testing different cards? So one of my favorite uh, innovations going back a little bit before TES, but when I had tried Solidarity after trying Nausea, I tried a list that became Sorcery Speed, but also ran Bubbling Muck. So Bubbling Muck is actually a Black High Tide. And so I paired High Tide and Bubbling Muck in the same deck, but instead I used Snap and Clot of Fairies. And on top of that, you were running eight Underground Seas essentially, because at the time, Watery Grave had just been printed. So your deck just ran all fetch lands and then these eight underground seas. So you lost a wasteland pretty hard. And that was one of the first things that I learned is if I'm going to be taking two damage and losing to wasteland, I didn't think I wanted to be playing a land-based deck. So I wanted to be playing more actual rituals. So at the time, Rite of Flame didn't exist. You had Dark Ritual and Cabal Ritual and Seething Song. So... A very young Bryant didn't want to play that those cards yet because he thought Calling the Week was super cool. So my first list of the Epic Storm uh, back then had a much worse name that I will not say on air, but it ran Trinket Mage and Priest of Gix to use with Calling the Week. And eventually, uh, through MTG the Source, some people talked me out of cutting the creatures and trying out the rituals. And then about a month later, the love of my life had been printed, Rite of Flame. 
I guess uh, culling the wheat got better. I'm, I'm doing air quotes here at some point when you could fetch for a dried arbor, but th that was a little later on, and people still haven't necessarily broken that interaction. But Brian, this is like this is the first time I've heard you say this before. This is sort of nuts. I feel like we're almost like brothers from across another universe. I I was uh, trying this bubbling tide deck, definitely not with the same clout or success as you, where I would uh, merchant scroll for a clutch of the Undercity. I don't even know what that be. is. So it's an instant that uh, is a four mana cost instant. It's some bounce effect. doesn't really matter at all. It's a blue, blue black instant. Uh, it had transmute, but you could transmute for a tendrils of agony because it costs four. Oh, wait, and I so think I remember like, this. It costs one blue, blue, black. And like you can bounce a permanent and they lose three life. Yes, there something like that. I have no, I don't even remember what the card itself did. It was this chain of like I had tons of mana because there were basically eight high tide effects. And Merchant Scroll is obviously a broken card. So you can Merchant Scroll for the Clutch and Transmute for the Tendrils. It ended up just being a much worse uh, deck than the deck that the, the Hatfields obviously uh, um, broke. But um, That would be yeah, Spiral so. Tide? That is right. Which is also a sweet deck that I had stolen from me uh, at some point, which was a, a very sad story. But yeah, so all that being said, that was a that was a rant right there. But very cool to hear that as part of your story of of getting to your true love, which was Ride of Flame. And now that we've gotten to my one true love, Wilson, why don't you tell us why you love Legacy? Yeah, totally. So um, for me, let's flash forward a little bit from Bryant. So Bryant was basically one of the godfathers, one of the founders of the format. Uh, when I got in, it was you know already established. There's this group of people in New York, like Bryant, Virginia, what have you. 2009, right? I was in college. Um, I'd played FNM a lot in high school. I started getting a little more competitive when I was in college. And then I started craving more as far as the deck builder goes. So I got sucked into the source. And I was literally like, I think that to be honest, I played some extended PTQ in Roanoke, Virginia. And I played Affinity, and I was losing to Zoo a lot, and uh, was just really impressed by the efficiency of the deck and extended Zoo. And so I got involved in the the Zoo uh, forum on on Legacy and, and the Source because that was a pretty competitive deck at one point. And um, yeah, so I know that's a little more information actually than I even wrote in the show notes. But I started getting deeper in the format. I got three friends involved, and for me, it became a social thing where me and my closest friends we just built like the most competitive Legacy decks. We went super deep on testing. Like, we built, you know, lands. We built tests. I uh, was definitely a follower of, of tests, and one of my friends played it a lot, and I played it some. Um, you know, Team America, which at the time was basically like a Bug Delver deck without Delver. Ran Sinkles uh, originally. There you go, exactly. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of these legacy stalwarts that made these decks, and, you know, these deck names uh, obviously are very interesting. But yeah, so we built this like gauntlet of decks. We got really deep into it. We tested a ton. I mean, for me, it became like a huge time sink where in college, I felt like people were involved in like frats and doing all sorts of social things. And for me, it's like never been my scene to, to really feel like I'm wasting a lot of time uh, on, on stuff that doesn't matter a ton, which is funny to say because I know magic to some people doesn't matter. But it was an awesome cerebral activity that... Uh, I made a lot of friends in and spent a ton of time playing in college. Um, got more competitive. I tested so much for my first GP. So I went to uh, Grand Prix Providence in 2011. We played. We basically stayed up to like 4 a.m. when I was uh, I was an RA and uh, I didn't know that was your was first on, Grand Prix. 
It was, uh, it was my first legacy Grand Prix. So I played in an extended Grand Prix Atlanta before that. Um, didn't do well. I actually lost to Jody Keith, who ended up top fouring, and a couple other people. But So it was my second Grand Prix. It was my first legacy GP, my first big legacy tournament. Uh, I ended up top eighting, and it was super exciting. So I had this a lot of takeaways from that, which was that I had such a high bar for myself at the event that I realized like this is a really hard game to play. And I overestimated how like perfect or awesome everybody would be. And in reality, everybody's just giving it their best shot. And like, it just takes so much effort to become good legacy format. I did well. Of course, some of it was because of luck, but to be honest, like the preparation I put in, I put in so many hours and, and me and my friends tested for, for months on end for this one event. It's something I can't do now at this point in my life. Um, but it was definitely very cool, and it springboarded my my interest in the format. From there, I got on my first Pro Tour, which I did poorly in, but uh, I went four and four. But at the time, that did not day two. But it still like gave me that test that taste of competitive interest, where I kept playing, and I was really interested in Legacy, and I I, I just I kept pursuing it. And uh, to me, that was that was a huge part of it. I I made lifelong friends at that point, and. The interesting thing was I was engaged, and so I got married, and the first pro tour I ever went to was two weeks after uh, my honeymoon. So That sounds very I, exciting. I, were yeah. You, were you playtesting during the honeymoon with your with your wife, just being like, you know, yeah, this is how we're going to play out this matchup? And So it was sort of nuts. We were, all, we were on our honeymoon in Antigua, in the, in the Caribbean, and I, uh, I used a computer one time while we were there. I checked the computer, and it, it, the pro tour was all of a sudden this new modern format. And I was like, okay, but because I was so happy and smitten and obviously doing all these, uh, I was in love and snorkeling and doing all these things. I didn't even think about it. I put minimal testing into modern. I went four and one in modern, but I owe three the draft losing to John Finkel and some other talented people. So what was your modern deck? Uh, it was, it was Naya, uh, punishing fire Kavu predator deck. He did say that he loves zoo. Oh my. I did. I love Zoo so much early on. And it was cool. It had a lot of removal spells in it. It was actually interestingly decent against some of those early broken decks because those decks relied on creatures like Splinter Twin and uh, Infect even. I so remember was, the Infect deck was the breakout deck of that event. It was the Blazing Shoal deck, essentially. You would remove uh, Progenitus, I believe, or uh, what is it called? It's like Kami of the Infinite something. It's like an eleven mana red seven four. Would you believe? Would you believe me if I told you that I played against that deck in a in a league the other day, like no less than a week ago? That's interesting. So the whole the whole point behind my story is that you know a little bit of success in in the competitive nature. Like I'm a very competitive person. I think this will segue into Anurag's story, but um, it it led me into getting really involved, meeting good friends. So as everybody listening knows, like magic people are a, a certain type of people that are not necessarily normal, but we all get along with each other really well. And I think we can relate on a level of, uh, you know, just thinking about things that are strategic often and spending a ton of mental energy on it. So I really appreciated that. And even today, I have a lot of really great friends that are involved in the game. So even talking to Bryant here, like Bryant and I have only become friends recently, but, you know, doing a, a baseball league together pretty soon it's like i feel like there's a lot of overlapping interests of people that enjoy spending a lot of mental energy on, on their hobbies yeah, like this. random aside cool. it is kind yeah. of i mean so from my perspective right like when i first 
got into this. I, I never thought I would really make this many friends, but then you like, I mean, everyone's a person, you know what I mean? At the end of the day, they have their own subset of interests and like the stereotype of like what quote a nerd is and things like that. Like, I mean, so when, when I started playing and I, and I guess I'll just take, I'll take the reins here. When I started playing, uh, yeah, I was young, pretty young. I guess we all were. And you know, those sort of things I was in high school. So all those sort of things like mattered. Um, and so, you know, years later, I, it's pretty surprising to find, um, uh, I don't know, just like, yeah, just learning more about people, learning about all the things that you have in common with them. And, uh, um, I love it. I love it so much. It's, it's great. Um, so why, why, why do I, I love legacy? Yeah. Anurag, why do you love legacy? I guess, uh, to answer this question. And first of all, I'm going to, I'm going to warn the viewers right now. Uh, I have one listeners. Yeah, listeners. I'm sorry, podcast. Right. Uh, I have one fatal weakness. All right, and that is that I cannot tell a story for the life of me. Um, so I'm gonna just try and like give you as much as I can, but I, I promise I'll ramble. So the two of you are responsible for like being like, yo, keep it in line. So <clears throat> I feel like this is something you should have told us in advance. No, it's good. Great to do it live. This way, everybody <laughs> knows, right? So now, now it's you guys are responsible for you know whatever happens today. Uh, All right. Have your Bill O'Reilly. No, let's encourage. Let's encourage Inrug. Let <laughs> Bill right. So let's let's encourage Inrug here. Okay. So Inrug, this is a podcast. People are listening to this because they're freaking bored, right? Like I've, they're driving. This is why I started listening to Legacy Podcast. I spent hours on the road on a sales job, and I wanted to freaking listen to people that were talking about stuff I liked and were into magic and all sorts of other things. I mean, we had a I had a listener on the other podcast I did who drove a forklift lift all day. And he said that he would just plug in his earphones and listen to the podcast. And I think that's sweet. So take, take your time, sit on back. We want to hear your story. Growing up as a kid. um, I think it may have just been like the household that I was raised in. Uh, My, my parents are just like first generation immigrants. They moved in like 1991. I was born a year later Um, in middle school and high school. It was always just about, you need to get the best grades. You need to be number one. Number two is not an option kind of deal. You know what I mean? And and don't get me wrong. I was not like that smart, but I will say that, you know, my mental prime was when I was a sixth grader. That's when I was just like crushing it, you know, compared to everybody else. Um, <clears throat> so, I know it's just like the mindset that, you know, my parents instilled into me. Like, I guess uh, the easiest way to put it is like, you know, I was that kid who would you know, not really go outside and hang out with friends, but I'd be at home and my dad would give me like math drills, right? For the, the competitive number sense tournament that's, you know, happening that Saturday or the week after or whatever. Um, I think I was like a state champion at one point uh, and then so on and so forth. But um, yeah, so like that kind of mindset was just like drilled into me to where like I when I when I do something, I want to do it like really well. You know, I want to be the best. I, I don't want there to be any question. And that sort of it made me a very competitive person um just in the sense that you know i yeah i just i wanted to win everything i wanted to whatever i thought was really interesting or really cool i wanted to be known for it and so around just like the 10th grader or something like that one of my my best friends introduces me to Yu-Gi-Oh card game um and it was super interesting to me because well i don't know i had never seen anything like it before and the other thing that stuck with me was I was losing like a lot and it just made me really frustrated, you know, just because of my, just the, the, who I am. And after that, it was just like spent just kind of like you, Wilson, right? You just spend hours and hours and hours and hours, pour your life into it. And, you know, 
up to a certain point, like around like 2012 or some like, you know, second or third year of college is where I, I found magic, you know, and I started playing standard, you know, eventually moved into modern and I, I was a birthing pod player, believe it or not. Um, I, I loved me some, uh, was like Malira, Kitchen Finks, you know, infinite life, that sort of thing. Uh, you don't seem like the kind of guy that likes grinding out value. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, so they banned Birthing Pod, and then I started looking for a new deck, and I was like, man, I don't know what to do, right? Um, and at, around this point, this was like, you know, years ago where the Star City Circuit was like a two, two, it was two days, but it was like an open per day. So Saturday would be standard, and then Sunday would be legacy. And and so around that time, I started, I stopped keeping track of standard because, you know, I'd phased fully into modern. And Legacy was starting to interest me, just, you know, seeing all some, some of the powerful interactions, seeing brainstorms and ponders get cast and things like that. And it was around this time where I wanted to learn more about Legacy. I was just hungry for content, devouring everything, you know. I had the, the monthly subscription to Star City Games Premium, reading, like, all of the, you know, Todd Anderson articles and so on and so forth. And, you know, Deathblade was really just what I wanted to, to get. And so with my first paycheck off my internship, I bought, you know, some Underground Seas, some Tundras, some Dark Confidants, that card was sick. Um, and, you know, just <clears throat> time went on, time went on. Um, I eventually started playing Shardless Bug. It was an interesting deck. I remember uh, losing in an IQ with the deck uh, to Infect, which I thought was a great matchup. And then, you know, years later, I'm looking at, you know, looking back and kind of just like laughing, thinking, oh, ye of whatever. Um, <clears throat> Honor, can I pause you for a Am moment? Am I ranting? No, not yeah, at all. Uh, I just wanted to mention, I think that was part of the golden years of Legacy is those two-day opens where every single weekend you could turn into tune into Star City Games and watch an open on Sunday. Traveling to them was miserable. Was, living on the East Coast, I did it a lot. You would get home at like 4 in the morning, but that was just not great compared to what we have now. But for coverage, it was amazing, and I think that it did a lot for Legacy's growth over time, and it introduced the format to so many different players. Yeah, actually, I mean, the closest thing that we have today is we have, like, the Sunday Legacy Challenges, and I know there are a lot of players on Twitch who uh, will stream those, so I, I'm kind of, it's kind of cool, because nowadays you get to see, like, seven different players go through seven rounds of Legacy, uh, you know, Sunday afternoon, midday, whatever it is, um, but, uh, yeah, yeah, so... I, I eventually switched over to show and tell, and I might not look like a show and tell guy, but I definitely did resolve you know a number of um, hasty emeralds and gristle brands and a lot. Wait, is this real? So you wrote this on the show notes. I deleted it because I thought it was a troll. No, I play. I solidly played show and tell for nine months. Wilson, would you believe me if I told you that I knew this already? I I believe you. I'm a little offended that I didn't know. It's okay. Well, Although, it, I do have one uh, disagreement with Anurag. He looks like a show and tell player. I look like what? a. I'll, you know what? I'll take that because then when I go turn one island ponder, no one's going to see the turn three monastery mentor. Not even me. Um, I, I wouldn't. Wait, do you play monastery mentor in your deck? Uh, yeah, I do. I do. I think it's. I think it's pretty good. All right. Sorry. Go on. Wow. How far we've come. <laughs> yeah. Prob probably wouldn't play like, you know, like an egregious amount, like four or something like that. But uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Wilson's got a really big smile on his face right now. So yeah. Um, so I played show and tell for eight to nine months. You know, I think the highlight of my show and tell career was scooping the finals in an IQ or to someone who needed the points. And I felt like a champion. I was like, yeah. Um, 
but then like after that it just went downhill and i started like thinking critically about my matches again like i'm super competitive and i i just cannot handle losing i take losses really really badly I, like they just stick in my mind for like you know hours and hours and days and days and um i realized that up to a certain point that you know the deck that i was playing was uh holding me back i guess kind of i don't know um Sh show and tell is admittedly or in my eyes it's a linear deck um, there are some skills that you need to know to play the deck, like cantripping properly. But, you know, sometimes your opponent will just play like him to Torok and him to Torok and you don't, you might not have the spell pierce. And then suddenly it's just like, well, you're drawing dead and Delver's turning sideways and all the sort of frustration just gets in your head. And so I, I, I around this time, uh, <clears throat> Mr. Duke, Mr. Rita Rabbit wrote an article, um, discussing, uh, something about legacy that I, I still think is very important to this day. And he was like, he was analyzing why he and, uh, you know, had a, such a poor record against a player, Joe Lissette, consistently just losing to him. And um, he concluded that, you know, in a format like Legacy, the key thing, the constant is that you should really just play a deck inside and out over and over and over and over and over and over again. Because um, Joe's been playing that deck for I don't even know how long. And then Reed was like, yeah, so I think at the end of this day, I'm going to pick up one deck. I'm going to stick to this deck. And like you even see like to this day, Reed really only has like a couple decks at his, you know, fingertips that he uses. I guess like what, Pox, Elves, and maybe Miracles. Those are the three decks I would mostly associate him with. Um, I think Pox is maybe more of a, a modern thing. But yeah, I mean, I, I definitely know what you're saying. Like he plays, he's played those three decks in Legacy. So Yeah. And so... Um, at that point, I was just like, all right, look, I want to become a better player. I want to, I know, I, I know I can do it. Um, so let me just pick out one of the most complicated decks in the format, something that, you know, appeals to me, you know, that I like a lot. And I came, came across miracles and I was like, yo, this deck is, this deck is absolutely sick. Um, Sensei's Divining Top, Brainstorm, uh, actually, well, just, it is just Sensei's Divining Top. That card was really, really difficult to play with at the time. Um, and I was like, yeah, uh, let, let's let's dive into it. And I mean, breaking it down now, I could tell you exactly what it was about the card that I loved. It's just that, you know, every one mana you spend, you get to look at three, three different cards. You get to put them in any order. And eventually the number of options and configurations and things like that, you know, just like it just like millions of combinations exist just in the span of one 40 minute match. And to me, the honor, you just did something that I absolutely hate. What? explaining what a card does it's uh so for example i've had this discussion with my good friend royce walter it's like when you ask someone why they play something and they're like yeah i play manamorphos because it costs two mana filters two colors and then i get to draw a card wait who plays manamorphos it's an expression that's the card that we use as an example but we <laughs> royce walter and i but that sort of stuff just drives me insane like it's a weird thing that just i don't know i hate it Anyway, I'm sorry for interrupting. Well, no, I mean, so the, the card, like, well, other cards don't give you, like, that many options throughout a match, right? And I really, really do like that, you know, that such a card existed that, you know, just unnecessarily complicated a game. To be fair, many many of our baby listeners, this this card may be a, a relic of the past, sadly. Uh, that is true. Yeah, Rest in Peace Sensei's Divining Top 2016. 
Uh, yeah, no, but uh, I, I, I do like that. Uh, I, I do think that, that card was just absurdly powerful looking back at it, and I'm glad that it's gone. But yeah, no, so, I mean, that was the card that just, like, mesmerized me, made every single game a puzzle that I had to solve, that I had to, like, you know. And, and also, it's something about it, like, I, I, do you guys ever feel like you're the hero when you play, like, one of these games where you have to, like, outsmart, outtrick your opponents and things like that? And, like, I put myself in, like, that pilot seat always starting the game at like a disadvantage kind of because i mean the nature of a control deck or the nature of miracles at the time and i mean yeah like that sort of vision is what i have uh that's how i see legacy as kind of just like a the format the one format that makes the most complicated puzzles the most interesting with the most interesting solutions it seems like we have a lot in common on rock that's one of the things i enjoy about storm is that every game is a unique puzzle and you need to navigate your way through pieces of hate or counter magic or things like that. And it often comes down to outwitting your opponent. So sometimes you'll main phase a card that like a brainstorm that you want to get countered or something along those lines in order to open up a new avenue for you to win. And a lot of it comes down to mind games or body language, especially storm. People try to read your face and if you stonewall them or give them a fake emotion, it ends up being a lot of value uh, later on. Yeah, totally. No, that makes a lot of sense. I want to. There's a lot to unpack here, and it's awesome. I f- so I just want to say, like, I've been friends with Anarog for a little while, and it's definitely been uh, started with because of the game. But I would like to think that we've become friends. This is my first time hearing a lot of these things about uh, your story, and I think it's it's really cool. Um, it's it's the competitive part is really neat. I f- I think that the competitive angle is is something that all three of us share it sort of brings us together i have teamed with both bryant and anarog in different events i am i'm not gonna say hey wilson i just want you to know i wouldn't do that to you i wouldn't make you choose it's me (laughs) (laughs) i will say i had a i had a better gp outcome with one of my teammates but i don't know if if that was necessarily their fault Skill wise, or if, the, if it was the deck choice, but my uh, round eight opponent had two pyroblasts in his main deck. Wilson, what, what, what do you want me to no, do? No, no, about no, no. I'm definitely not blaming you. You both were awesome teammates. <laughs> my point is that you were awesome teammates because I felt like we related on this competitive level. Where you know, I mean, friendship isn't all about that necessarily, of course. But it was cool that everybody was self motivated to win the win. Uh, in a way that was just like there was this intrinsic need to to beat the opponent. It's sort of like what you're describing in Rug, which I think is very cool. It's something that is built into your identity, and I think that we all share that in some different way. And I think it's really cool that you shared like the part of your upbringing that sort of built that. And it's it's neat that you're able to be introspective and understand that. So I think it's really cool. Something that I another point I wanted to make and really uh, target in that is not in our show notes is that you talking about wanting to be the hero. This is an interesting topic. I don't think everybody necessarily wants to be the hero. I know that I've listened to uh, another podcast and a a very skilled and proficient storm pilot, uh, Cyrus CCG, who has talked about wanting to be the villain in the legacy format and talked about how magic needs more villains. And I do think that people have different motivations. Like I will say like, I'm not, I don't, I don't take Cyrus's perspective necessarily like wanting to like actively embody the villain, but it is motivating for me to be rooted against, you know? And uh, I think it's neat when people have the, the angle of wanting to be the hero or the villain 
and it causes some sort of motivation within them. I think it gets into some sort of deeper personal psychology that gets into gaming that I think is, is really neat. And I just sort of picked up on you saying that, Anarog. And I think that, that that totally makes sense. Do you think that being the hero and sort of uh, sort of piloting uh, an archetype and becoming like the face of an archetype, does that motivate you in your streaming? And, uh, you know, I mean, you have a huge stream following. I've seen you with 250 concurrent viewers on a regular basis. Is that something that motivates you to foster that community and, and continue to put time into that? Mm, that's a, I never really thought about that. I'll be I'll be point blank honest with you. I never really thought about it that way. I mean, I guess we could dissect that. Let's see. So I was I was I was going to mention though, like you know, the other reason, and this is definitely a newer reason uh, that I just I, I will admit, like I got a little bit like burnt out of like Magic and Legacy at some point, and then you know I started streaming a little bit in. The start of 2017 and i don't know that just like ignited the fire in me again um kind of like the the whole like i really wanted to be good at streaming and it, it's 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 just remarkable by the way just shout out to everybody who's who watches participates streams anything um it's it's amazing um but but yeah i think streaming is another reason why i love legacy because it allows me to and I know this is a reason, like, everybody will say this, but, like, it's really about the legacy community, right? Like, I have met you guys multiple times in person. Uh, you know, every time we go out to a, a, an event, every time I fly out to an event, we're the ones, you know, getting a drink and, and dinner, you know, after after eight grueling, nine grueling rounds of magic. Um, I know I can go and have a good time. It's not just about the magic, right? Because I'm not, I, I know I'm not going to, like, you know, top eight every single event that I go to, but I always have that backdoor prize of just, like, overeating, like, and, and, and having a good time with you guys. And I think the part about streaming that I really enjoy is that, like, it, it's on almost a daily basis or whenever I choose to fire up the stream that I get to hang out with just this amazing, awesome community that is, uh, well, I mean, my Twitch chat likes uh, can handle miracles for as long as they can, which is incredible. Also, props. Um, but yeah, it's just like magic in general, legacy specifically, right? Like, I think it's super cool. Um, I, I love that we are. I, I'm making hand motions right now, like making like a giant, like encompassing hand motion. But like, that is just we're we're, we're an inclusive community. Like we. Yeah, legacy. I don't know. It's just it's great to be able to share that. I I guess it's my love of legacy that I'm able to share with other people, and that is also just something that I love. That I can't do that. I can get behind that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what I I was gonna say. What I like about your stream, Anurag, is uh, you you get very in touch with your chat and including them as part of the process of building and playing your deck. And I think that's obviously like a very important part of of live streaming which is really hard to do. You basically become an entertainer and a, a basically a partner with your with your chat as far as you're, you're basically teaching them how to play the deck but playing it with them, which is really interesting. Um, you do that really well, and I think you're a very likable personality, and I tune into your stream because I think it's, it's definitely entertaining to watch, and it, it's captivating. So uh, I want to publicly apologize for any, any amount of trolling that I do, but... Uh, <laughs> But it's sometimes tempting. But yeah, Bryant, like you've been streaming some recently. Um, I have. We did not talk about this before the show. I just wrote in the show notes my observations because when I see the Epic Storm and Bryant uh, pop up on my alerts for Twitch, I, I definitely tune in because I think it's it's awesome magic content to watch. So maybe just 
from your perspective, talk a little bit about the the community. I mean, generally, you have a, a large breadth of content. You have a website, theepicstorm.com, where you have a lot of content creators that you're managing uh, create content about the archetype. Um, in general, you're always innovating on the deck. I've seen some a spicy number with a, a new mana rock involved in our in our favorite combo deck. And how has live streaming been part of that process for you? And is, is it something that you're starting to amp to ramp up a little bit or pursuing, or you have maybe just talk a little bit about that. So Anurag is a little bit more dedicated to streaming than I am. It's something I do when I'm bored. I don't have a set schedule. And when I stream, it's pretty much just when I feel like it. And when I won't get in trouble for not paying attention to my fiance for a little bit too long. So I fit it in when I can, but to me, I love the storm community, not just TES, but ant players as well. Wait, hold on. Let me finish my point. Over Flip the years, I feel audience. like, yeah, go ahead. Over the years, I feel like the divide between Ant and TES players has merged a bit. And there isn't this hatred that there was once during 2007 to 9 for very little reason. Uh, a younger Bryant was a little more immature. And uh, I've gained some wisdom over the years. But I do enjoy other thought philosophies on storm and it's something that i've tried a lot over the years so i've tried listening two paths and flames and two cabal rituals and i've learned a lot from ant players but i've probably learned just as much from the miracles community it's getting different thought philosophies and changing your outlook on things that will make you grow as a player so i really like being involved with the legacy community because i feel like the best innovation comes from getting outside of your comfort zone rather than just talking to similar minded people I will say what I've really liked about the test community is the organization that you have. So, I mean, everybody knows that you are Tess. I mean, you're the creator, you're the spokesperson, but really what you fostered is a lot of people that really embody that and also create content and innovate on the deck and play, put a lot of time into the deck and are motivated to sort of be part of the deck identity. And I think that's something that, you know, Miracles community has definitely tried to, to implement. I know Anurag has become a big leader in that community. With a, There's a lot of, uh, of big names that have innovated on Miracles and have done really well in that. But to me, it's like Tess is sort of the pinnacle of like archetype identity with a community surrounding it that is uh, identifiable. And I think that's so, very cool. I have a background in marketing and graphic design. So... I'm pretty good at building a brand, or at least I like to think that I am. And part of that is getting others involved. So as you mentioned, I have a team that I work with and I don't want to say works with me because, or that work for me, because that's not the case at all. These are bright young minds. Some of them older. I don't know why I said young, but they're all people that are very dedicated to their craft. Uh, there's seven of us, I think now that write for the website. And we even have a couple people that are just video, uh, but it's all people that are very dedicated and hardworking people, but they're also great people to bounce ideas off of and things like that. They do a fantastic job, and I can't say that enough about them. Uh, one of the things that I've learned through being a manager of these people for theepicstorm.com is how to guide them into – I'm trying to use my words here. It's pretty difficult, but grow them as well as grow you. and. It's not always easy to manage people. I've certainly made some mistakes in the past and 
wish that I had said things or guided them in a different direction, but it's all a learning process. Uh, it's something that comes with age and experience and you're not going to hit it out of the ballpark every time. So it's been a interesting and rewarding experience having the epicstorm.com and this great community around me. Yeah. Well, I will say like the brand is very cool. I ordered some merch from you. Um, I have, to I do s- have a shop, the epicstorm.com slash shop shameless plug. <laughs> yeah. There, there's absolutely no shame. I mean, this is a podcast. People are listening to it. They know that we all have our brands here, but I will say that, uh, I, I drank a little bit of alcohol. I was having a jovial evening and, for some reason, some of the uh, the messaging on the Epic Storm merch really touches me. It 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 it, it really hits home for uh, for what I enjoy. So I ordered some merch. It arrived when I was not home. Lindsay got it. She she questioned me about <laughs> about what came to our door. It was it was definitely a, a fun experience. But uh, yeah, I, I drink from the, the pint glass that I ordered, and I I definitely have a couple, uh, at least one t shirt and a play mat that are. Uh, certainly fun fun to play with. So, so Anrog, we need to see some uh, some mentor. Actually, no, we need some need some see some uh, Palace Jailer swag pretty soon. Oh, it's coming! You best believe. <laughs> On the EternalGloryPodcast.com, if you look in the header, there is a monastery mentor in the background, oh, just for a good friend Anrog. Oh snap! I just want to I, say that I did innovate the monastery mentor tech and. Uh, <clears throat> Okay, I can't even I can't even fake it, Wilson. I'm sorry. I like I tried, but it didn't work. Okay. I, I don't know what you just did. I feel like you you tried to troll me, but within a millisecond recanted. So uh Wilson, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh your streaming and cardboard live? Yeah, so to me, I haven't streamed in a long time and it's really hard to do, which is why I I really respect you guys for growing your communities and for doing it. Um, but the whole point of Cardboard Live and the startup I'm working on is to make streaming collectible card games a more viewable experience by, you know, revealing hidden information, using image recognition on on actual tabletop streaming, but also the digital clients of like Magic the Gathering, for example. But maybe more than anything else, incentivize content creators by giving commissions on purchases through uh, on products through the stream. So this is something we've been working on, which is. If you watch Bryant stream so much and you think that he's your teacher and you want to buy tests, Bryant will actually make a commission on the purchase of your product through a large retailer. And this is the tech we're working on. Uh, it's a work in progress. We're still beta testing a lot of the stuff and working with Twitch closely on it. But you know, I decided to go from a, a job I didn't really care about at all to doing something that I felt like was a big need in the community and something I'm passionate about. So now magic has become sort of my livelihood and trying to, to follow this passion here. And uh, yeah, obviously both of you are big influences on me because you're, you're the people that really inspire me to do this is seeing people that put a lot of their themselves into their decks and their craft. And I think that there's a, a huge world of basically what I would refer to as like indie content creators who put so much time into providing awesome content for a community of people that are, are very loyal and want to support them, but like the tech doesn't exist to directly support them through streaming. And that's what I'm trying to solve with Cardboard Live. So obviously that's sort of my plug, but um, you know, I mean, that's what I'm putting all my time into. And to be honest, like I used to play a ton of legacy and I, I miss it. Like I'm not able to play as competitively as I was even a couple of years ago. And a lot of that is because all of a sudden 
I'm putting all this time in, into a magic startup and I've played the least amount of magic I've ever played. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just sort of what happens. Um, I'm, I'm focusing more time on like cube, for example, because if I, if I'm going to a, a GP or what have you, it's usually for work or streaming purposes. And, and when I want to play magic, it's, uh, it's spending time building my cube or, or playing the cube. So, so yeah, that's, I mean, that's cardboard live and, and that's what I've been doing. It's pretty cool. That is, that's actually pretty cool. And I honestly, like I've only heard positive feedback of, from about cardboard live, um, personally, like as a streamer, I think it's, it's really fantastic. I look forward to, uh, maybe, you know, make a little bit of cha-ching, uh, but also no, I think it's super useful. Uh, I think it is extremely useful compared to what's out there. At least it's just like what, like star City's adopted it. Channel fireballs adopted it. Right. So it's like the real deal. Well, I will say what we have today, I'm happy about, I'm glad the community is super excited about it, but we we're doing so many things basically using AI for determining uh, player advantage in non-traditional games like Magic, um, helping people purchase stuff through live streaming. I mean, there there's complicated ways that we're trying to solve this with tech that we're really excited about that's that's coming. That's that's, that's a little more exciting than than interactive deck lists on a Twitch stream. But um, so that being said, like we're really we're we're happy that the communities receive what we have today in such a positive way. But we're also excited with what's coming coming soon. So we're happy about the, the positive feedback, but Anarog, Anarog has been the only uh, negative voice in the community. And because of that, you know, we're, we're just really happy about the positivity. So hold on. I wanted to give Wilson some credit. He uh, doesn't give himself enough. Last year, Wilson grinded the silver, I believe. And he was playing a lot of magic to the point where I was playing, I literally played in four Grand Prix in four weeks, and Wilson kept on playing more after that. He did not stop until he hit silver. So I feel like he's allowed to take some time off because he had a grueling few months in order to achieve his goals. Yeah, I mean, it. to be honest, like I'm glad, Brian, I appreciate you saying that because sometimes it's hard to like take a breath and like appreciate your own competitive accomplishments. I don't think I really ever did that because I dove straight into the startup. But it was cool to be able, like, I ended up playing in, I think, four Pro Tours in a row. I made silver. It was just, it, it was a cool accomplishment. And it's the kind of thing where, like, once you get there, it's uh, it's just an awesome feeling to play against some of the best players in the world. And not just a feeling because I feel like I'm necessarily like them, but it was just, uh, it was a very cool experience. So, yeah, I mean, to me, it was a lot of work to get to that point. And... We'll see what happens with the Magic Pro community. I mean, I think the game is headed in a positive direction, but obviously we don't know exactly what's going to happen with some of these tournament series. And uh, we'll, we'll, I guess we'll just continue to, to hope that the opportunities are still there for people. Well, that's one of my concerns right now with Magic as a whole and not even necessarily just Legacy. But So I had someone tell me after I top a GP Columbus a million years ago that I would never get on the Pro Tour again. Like That was my one opportunity I was a very poor college student and I couldn't go. So it's been a goal of mine ever since to make the pro tour. I've come close a couple of times, but unfortunately have not made it. So now with all these changes, it's making me reevaluate what I want out of magic because I'm not sure if I want that anymore. I wanted to experience a pro tour at least once, but maybe it's no longer what I should be reaching for because it seems like the rewards for being a grinder are no longer there 
and grinding Star Cities doesn't have a whole lot of appeal to me. Uh, the Players' Championship is nice, but it doesn't have the prestige to me that the Pro Tour has. So maybe just being the best content creator I can be, but at the same time, I'll admit, it feels a little bit lame. Now, I don't think you should feel lame about that because I'm kind of in the same boat where I've really realized that like I love Legacy enough, actually, yeah, so much, that I would rather... Um, focus on like just the well-being of legacy than like my own um i guess like pro tour related competitive gains so like i would rather play legacy you know just on the weekly challenges that may not necessarily amount to much you know than test standard to get you know on the pro tour for example and i think i think i mean look the legacy community i i'm, I'm maybe speaking out of my out of my scope here but i think they appreciate everything that you do that Wilson do that I does that every content creator who provides you know consistent content out there for just you know people to eat up because I mean at the end of the day it's going to be mostly on us to um, you know keep the community alive keep the community running and honestly I think we do a really good job at it uh, I think uh, you know there's there's always room to be better but uh, I mean, we're gonna get there and I think that's cool I don't think you should feel bad about that at all I love you Brian thank you Anurag. You're beautiful. No, I. I feel like I've gotten to know you guys a lot better. Just wait, by wait, 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 wait. Hold up, hold up, hold up. Brian didn't say I love you back. This is just. This is like. This is. It'll come. I love just, you, Wilson. Oh my God. I love you, Brian. Hey, just give him his. Uh, give him some time and space, Interog. Don't force it. But I just want to say, like, I really appreciate this conversation. I. I feel like I've gotten to know you guys better just by doing a podcast, which is really cool. I hope you're both recording your audio right now on Audacity. Yo, let me so ask you a personal question, this. Wilson. What's my middle name? Henry, very close. Well, this is something that I don't I don't actually say to people, but you know what? I'll let you know. I don't have a middle name. I knew that. I have a pet. It came up over dinner at Star City Games Syracuse. I have a pet name. Oh my gosh, did it really? I have I have a pet name. It's what my parents call me. What is it? Bulltu. You know, like the, the. I also heard that. Wait, what, Brian? How much have I told you? I don't remember telling you this at all. Enough for me to get your social. Oh my goodness. All right. Well, on that note, um, I guess we could uh, talk about where we're going to be in the upcoming weekends, what big legacy events are going on, and uh, um, where you might be able to find us. How about that? Brian, what are you doing in the upcoming weeks? Well, April 6th, you can find Wilson's big, bald, beautiful head and myself flying into Boston for the Leaving a Legacy Third Open, hosted by Gerald James Mee and Patrick Eleanor Uglo. Yeah, I'm really excited about it. So Bryant will be competing. He will be trying to defend his title from two Opens ago, correct? Correct. And I will be talking about Bryant's matches that he is winning, hopefully. So I will be commentating. Or if they go super bad, I might be sitting next to you again. That's right, which was fun. That was very fun to do. And, and Rob, what will you be doing? Uh, I, on April 6th, will also be commentating on matches. I will also be playing some matches in, I think there's a Legacy PTQ online that weekend. So that's where I'll be. I'll be streaming it live, of course, because, you know, uh, that's the most fun, the best way to play Magic. Um, I didn't realize those two events were the same weekend. 
I know. I think the Wizards like announced it like maybe like a couple weeks ago. Definitely after leaving a legacy, announced their event. So, um, but also this weekend, also this weekend is the first legacy quarterly online. So I can't yeah, wait. I'm pretty excited for it too. Uh, but for the viewers who might not be, you know, deeply embedded into the Moto system, um, they introduced uh, the quarterly format challenges uh like a month or two ago and basically this is how you can play non-standard uh formats so i'm talking like modern legacy vintage and popper and you can play those you know formats to qualify for the pro tour um and today is going to be the first quarterly of uh sorry not today but this week will be the first quarterly event and the top eight will queue for another playoff and then the winner of that you know, cues for the pro tour. But this week, Sunday, there's gonna be a big tournament. Keep an eye out on Twitch. I'm sure a lot of people will be streaming it. It's gonna be exciting. Um, but beyond that I think you forgot to mention a very large prominent legacy event on Rock. Grand Prix slash Magic Fest slash ridiculous names slash Niagara Falls. And I believe it's April nineteenth the to the twenty first. And it is on the American side. Will I be seeing the two of you there? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I'll be there for sure. I don't think I've missed a Legacy Grand Prix since 2014 uh, in the States. So I'm going to be there for sure, for sure. I flew to Birmingham last year. Well, it was a pretty good trip. Uh, the best parts were not of magic, but it is what yeah, it is. Did be. you meet our British Legacy comrades? I did. I did meet Callum and Francis. Uh, Callum said some words that you're not supposed to say in America in front of my future <laughs> fiance. Uh, but apparently they're very popular across the pond. Yeah, I just want to give a shout out to our European and British legacy friends. I say those differently because they're, they are definitely different groups. Uh, Marcus this week published an article on theepicstorm.com about Spiral Tide. Marcus, by the way, not to deviate too much, but he posted a very Swedish picture of his family on Facebook recently, and I, I, I liked it. I appreciated it. All right, now we're just getting weird. But no, I, I, I do think it's cool that the legacy community is global and that we meet all these people online, and if we travel, it's it's cool to meet everybody. But All right, so uh, going forward with the Eternal Glory podcast, Wilson, Anurag, and I have decided that this will be a bi-monthly podcast, meaning that there will be two every month, and we will be looking to go live hopefully Thursday nights, so keep an eye out. Wilson, Anurag, do you have anything else to add? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, okay, well, we I, I, I would like to say we appreciate your support as a legacy community. We're just trying to get started right now, so if you can share this with your legacy friends, that would be great. The hardest thing to do with a new podcast is to reach people, so please share it. We appreciate that even more than your donations or what have you, but um, also Bryant put a lot of time into creating an awesome website for content. He's awesome at branding and design, so please check that out as well. Speaking and, uh, of donations, yeah. though, if you do appreciate the Eternal Glory podcast, you can go to the eternalglorypodcast.com, scroll all the way down to the footer, and click the donate button. That's right. And what does our money go to? Mostly dog food for Anarog's dog hunting. Hey, she's worth it, okay? Blue Buffalo is not cheap.
Wilson just chugged an entire beer. <laughs> next next podcast episode, uh, Jerry and me will be joining us on the show as long as he can fit us into his schedule. Really excited about him joining us as a guest. You know, he's he's been a, a role model for us. Wait, hold on. Didn't he bail on us this he week? He did, but, you know, he has a lot of things that he has to do. He has a lot of listeners he has to appease. Um, we would just feel honored if he were to spend a few minutes out of his schedule to, to join us on our podcast. And, you know, we're excited to to tell our listeners today that he will probably be here for the next episode. So be excited. We'll see. On that note, guys, thank you for listening, and uh, we'll catch you next time on the Eternal Glory podcast.